Why do we cry? How come love hurts? And what's a happiness researcher doing talking about sadness anyway? My name's Helen Russell. I'm an author, journalist and happiness researcher. And How To Be Sad is a podcast based on my book of the same name, exploring why we get sad, what to do when we're sad, and how we can all get happier by learning to be sad better. In this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life, and each episode I'll be joined by a special guest sharing their own story. Welcome to How To Be Sad. This chat was recorded in late 2019. I hope to bring it to you sooner, but you know, 2020. In this episode, we talk about the birth of Ella's first child, Skye. Now, followers will know that Ella and Matt have since had a new arrival, a daughter called May, and she and the family are doing well. But this was such an interesting chat that I wanted to share it with you here. I hope you find it helpful. Today, I'm joined by an award-winning cookery author, businesswoman and champion of plant-based living, Ella Mills. Ella started off with the hugely popular blog Deliciously Ella in 2012, before releasing a number one app and writing the fastest selling debut cookbook ever in the UK. She's since released a further three best-selling books, built a social media community of 2.5 million people. And in 2015, Ella met Matthew Mills. They started working together and married a year later. And today they've launched five lines of food products, as well as a deli, a podcast where I first met Ella. Oh, and Matt and Ella have also made a whole human being, the lovely Sky, born in the summer of 2019. She's a woman of many talents, but only a few years ago, Ella was so ill she wasn't even able to get out of bed. As well as her highs, Ella has been brutally honest about her lows and feeling vulnerable at times, not least where it all began, with a debilitating condition that started her whole journey. So I'm really thankful to be speaking to Ella today for How To Be Sad. Hello, Ella. Hello, thank you for having me. I have to say, I get very awkward and embarrassed when people read introductions. <laughs> yeah, so sorry. I should almost put you in a sealed room when that bit happens. For anyone who doesn't know who's maybe just heard of, you know, Deliciously Yellow or, or how you are now, could you tell us a little bit about how it all started and how your journey began? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the longest story, so I won't bore you with the whole picture, but I um yeah, ironically, I had no interest in healthy living, healthy food. It never crossed my mind. And I was at uni in my second year, having the best time. And then that summer, pretty much out of nowhere, I suddenly felt very ill and I felt more ill and more ill. And within a month, I basically couldn't get out of bed. And it took us about three or four months of all different hospitals, doctors, every test under the sun, including one 10 day stay in hospital, literally like four or five different tests a day to figure out what was going on and ended up being this kind of quite random, relatively rare, quite new illness called postural tachycardia syndrome. And it effectively stops your autonomic nervous system from working in the way that it should. So I couldn't control my heart rate properly. I couldn't control my blood pressure properly. It affected my digestion, my immune system, um, you name it. So I had chronic fatigue. I had chronic headaches. I had a lot of pain. Um, I looked more pregnant than I did at six and a half months pregnant with Sky. So I had really bad stomach issues. Um, my heart rate would be like 180, 190 when I stood up. I'd black out. You're also so chronically dizzy that you feel, I always used to say it felt like my head wasn't attached to my body. Like you couldn't quite kind of, yeah, it almost like felt like your feet weren't firmly on the ground. You weren't kind of grounded. There was a sense of kind of missing an anchor. It was a mm. very 
surreal feeling that I almost can't completely remember because it was so strange. Yeah. And when you first felt those symptoms, and as you say, people didn't really know what it was, mm. did, how did you even begin to express those to people? Do you know, I didn't. And that's actually, I think for me, the biggest learning and, you know, the biggest regret. And there's no point focusing on regret, I know. But like, if I could do one thing differently in my life, it would almost certainly be that. Because I was so confused by what was going on. And I think because it was so strange. And also, minus the looking pregnant, you know, really swollen stomach nothing looked different. You know, there wasn't anything kind of other than that so obvious to anyone. Um, and obviously I just wore very baggy clothes to hide it. Yeah, I struggled so much to kind of, yeah, deal with, and the suddenness of the change as well. I struggled so much to deal with it. And because I was so confused by what was going on and it was such a kind of difficult issue to articulate that I... I didn't really want to talk about it with people. And I had one experience and honestly, looking back on it again, it really was my failing, not, not theirs, but my flatmates to be for the, for the next year, because this was happening in the summer holidays. I sent them a Facebook, you know, email direct message saying, you know, hi guys, you know, just to let you know, this is why I've been quiet. I've been really sick and I've been in hospital and you know, this is what they think I have. And here's a link that tells you a bit more about it. But I had done it in a way that was like, you know, these were meant to be my really good friends and I hadn't spoken to them for a few months. And there I was dropping them like literally a three sentence message with a link to probably Wikipedia, you know, and it, it was about as unhelpful. And they sort of said, oh, I'm really sorry. And that was kind of full stop sort of thing. For me at the time, I took it so personally. I thought they don't want to know. They're not interested. They don't like me. They reject me because of this. And and I really started to shut myself away. And I, I didn't really talk to people. I didn't really tell people what was happening. And, and I think that was, yeah, in retrospect, I just, I really didn't approach it very well, you know. How would you know? True, true completely. But I think it taught me a good lesson in just like the openness yeah. is so much more powerful. And then when I started Delicious Ella. 18 months or so later, that's when I wrote, you know, the about section. And I was like, this is why I'm embarking on this journey to learn to like healthy food because I'm sick and I want to see if it helps. And I said, you know, this is why I'm sick and this is what I have and this is what I've been feeling. And it was a kind of, it's a very therapeutic moment actually writing it out and then publishing it. And I didn't share it with anyone for a while, but then I did share it with some friends and they shared it with some friends. And people were like, oh, right, that's where Ella's been. And people are suddenly so much nicer and more understanding. And I think that came from being vulnerable and, be, and sharing. And I, I was really afraid to do that to begin with. And what, what did your parents make of all? What did they suggest? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I've got a complicated relationship in some senses with some of my family. And my mum was amazing. You know, my mum is just like, she's the ultimate mum. And she was incredible. You know, she was literally with me for everything, every doctor's appointment, everything, she was there. And she was just like completely unfailing in her devotion to be there. You know, her and I were talking about this the other day. I think there were moments where she was so kind and actually what I needed was a bit of a push and someone to be honest with me and say, you know, you are letting yourself sink deeper and deeper and deeper because I think the emotional impact of the whole thing actually lasted longer than the physical that's interesting because I had such an effect on my self-esteem my view of myself my self-worth my feeling you know I, I really you know I had very bad depression during it and I think I needed more help 
and recognition in some, and she was fantastic. I don't mean it in that she, she wasn't there, but I think maybe sometimes I needed a bit more like, come on, Ella, you know, let's sort this, let's do this. And that, that's been interesting, but she was amazing. She was literally just there forever through the whole thing. But my dad didn't really seem to kind of struggle to, to connect to it. And I've then, you know, I found that really challenging in return of, again, you feel isolated from those around you. And then when your family kind of isolated from you, I think that really exacerbates the feeling of rejection. But a little bit like I was just saying, I think I slightly almost victimized myself in it as well of a lot of kind of like, why me? This is so unfair. And I think I wasn't always great at looking at the bigger picture and the fact I think one of my biggest learnings and uh, things I'm most grateful for in a way of then the openness of Delicious Yellow is that people have been really honest about their issues, you know, physical struggles, you know, their health, mental health issues, um, you know, because, you know, as you know, on our podcast, we cover all kinds of different things. You know, we did an episode of grief because my husband lost his mum last year. And, you know, it's been really interesting because people have shared their stories. And I think you start to realise that, like, everybody goes through real challenges in their life not everyone does it early in their 20s you know it often, it often does come later but often it comes earlier and I think it gave me such an appreciation of the fact that like you're not a victim like life is ups and downs and it can be challenging and like the quicker you accept that life kind of quote unquote isn't fair mm. the happier you're going to be and I think I was struggling with that a bit too much and how did you get over that feeling of like because I completely empathize you would feel like why is this happening to me how is this happening to me how mm. did you get over that hurdle it's, it's taken a really long time, like totally honestly. And I think it has been other people. I think it has been listening. It's listening, I guess, isn't it? It's listening to other people and realising I'm so lucky because I live in London and I was able to see great doctors. So I was able to get a diagnosis. You know, that was incredible because at least, I'm, you know, in that sense, I understood what was going on. I have my mum who was unbelievable there with, through the whole thing. And, you know, I had people that wanted to help and I had people that wanted to support me. And I'm so fortunate in my life. And I think the more you talk to other people and realise how normal it is to have these challenges, the more I realise, like, that's what it is. And I think the interesting thing is the second that I was quite honest with myself of I need to make a change. I need to do something different. You know, I I don't want to live like this for the rest of my life. And I started to sell and I started to change the way that I was living. And I started to try and focus on having some semblance of purpose and passion and everything changed. And it literally, you know, it took a long time to change like my physical health, but everything shifted with so quickly in terms of feeling like you were trying. Yeah. And I think I'd stopped trying for a small period of time. And I think that was a good lesson that like so much of it is still in your hands. So taking action even in itself made you feel yeah and it's funny I've noticed that so much like Sky our daughter's only three months old and I've noticed that so much like the days you know where motherhood feels quite overwhelming and a bit scary and you feel slightly lost in you know something so new you know you're just like right I'm getting out of the house I'm going to do this I'm which literally going to walk to the park and get a coffee and suddenly you're like I'm in charge like actually I am in charge of my day and like we can make this good mm-hmm. and I think that has been a big lesson one of the things I'm looking at a lot is how all of that being said, and we all go through things, we kind of have to to be okay with being sad sometimes. Did Was there sort of an acceptance, but still wanting to take action to make things better? Was there a sort of a an acceptance of your diagnosis? Did that make any difference to where you felt about it? Do you know what? I think it's such an interesting topic. And I think acceptance is such an important word. And I think I didn't have acceptance mm. because I think it is so important, as you're saying, like, we have a whole spectrum of emotions as human beings and like 
you can't have happy without sad. You know, you can't appreciate when a day is so amazing if you never have a bad day. Like you, you just don't have the gratitude in the same way. And so I think being accepting of those days is really important, but I think I wasn't accepting of it. So I was almost fighting it. And I think that was part of the problem. I like completely gave into it in some senses in terms of sort of slightly victimizing myself. But at the same time, I so desperately didn't want it to be the case that I never kind of was like, do you know what? This is where I am today. And I'm going to let that be where I am today. But I'm also going to work on trying to change it for tomorrow sort of thing. Mm. I was so angry with myself for effectively failing at like being healthy and being able-bodied and able to do things, you know, like walk down the street properly I was so cross and angry and resentful of myself and I felt so much anger towards myself that I had no sense of just like allowing something to be what it was yeah yeah and that it's okay to think actually that is pretty annoying that this happened but here we are exactly exactly and so you made the decision to try changing your diet to help inspired by Chris Carr in the US yeah and and you started the blog deliciously Ella were you surprised by the response I've never been more spread in my whole life. I mean, this was like a little niche project. It was like never intended for anything. And so the rate at which it grew, I mean, it had 130 million hits in the first couple of years. I had no idea what I was doing. And it felt quite radical at the time, but at least for me, I mean, I'm sadly much older than you, Ella, but um, it, for, for my generation, you know, who grew up in the 80s and 90s, it just, just wasn't even an idea we were even thinking about. And I've read that you said that you feel like we're getting to a point where the act of looking after yourself and your well-being is becoming a non-negotiable. We see kind of plant-based diets and plant-based living and an emphasis on trying to look after ourselves pretty mainstream now. How do you think that's changed? What's happened there? Yeah, and it's changed so quickly, so as you said, because when I started doing this, people were like, you are so weird, <laughs> you know? And I, because I, I mean, I was changing my diet and people were like, what will you eat? Yeah, I think not meat, what? Yeah. yeah, they're like, well, you have like one lentil for dinner. You know, I think they thought I'd be like fasting in the desert, you know, with like a little piece of cabbage to keep me company sort of thing. And then, you know, I started to get into meditation and into yoga and like, you know, I was like, I'm going to go to a sound healing class. And people were like, no, no, do more. Well. Um, and I know things like that still remain a bit more out there. Not so much sort of yoga, but sound healing, which is fair enough. It is a you know, I want to know more about sound healing later, but yeah. yes. Um, but um, but it all kinds of, you know, I started really exploring, you know, all kinds of alternative things. Mm. And people thought I was so weird. And the rate of change is just extraordinary. And I think, I think it is true. I do think it is becoming very normal to want to take care of yourself because I think we are not particularly happy. Mm. And um, that's really sad. But, I'll, you know, I think there there probably is a change. But I think it is that. 360 approach and I, I think that's where you know understanding your emotions and things does come into it because you know I always say this like you, you could eat all the kale in the world but if you're really struggling with your mental well-being and you know it's not it's no good you mm-hmm. know it, it all has to come together and you have to look after yourself as like a whole person mm-hmm. and I think that's where what you're doing comes into it is you know you have to connect to how you actually feel and accept it and and deal with it and when people were saying that you were weird and that's your word not my word but um you know how does that feel if you are putting yourself out there and allowing yourself to be vulnerable and sharing your experiences and then people are obviously you had this great response you had you know 130 million people coming to your blog but how did you feel about the detractors what are the downsides of suddenly achieving this high profile all of a sudden it's an interesting one because yeah that we've we've had a great 
amount of negative criticism as well, like a hundred percent. And I guess there's a few things in that. First of all, and it's taken me a long time to see this, but I think what's interesting is how much, and I think it's just the human psyche, but how much I would gravitate towards the negative, you know, say there'd be like 500 people commenting on something, 480 of them are positive, 10 are medium mm-hmm. and 10 are negative. Mm-hmm. And all you can see are the like, mm, and the negative. You can't see the positive. And I think it's so interesting. And I saw that time and time and time again. It's like, you just, your brain just really focuses on that. And you start to think, oh my gosh, it's all a disaster. And I wonder if this is why I think it's taken me longer to kind of become emotionally and like mentally sort of feel stable again, longer than it has physically, because it all changed so quickly. You know, when my first book came out, which is Winter, she said it really kind of exploded, which was the beginning of 2015. Up until that point, I started to feel much kind of more stronger again, physically and mentally. And I was, you know, it was a niche online, you know, yes, it was doing well, but it was a niche online community. Yeah. And so the negative was, you know, I tried this recipe. um, It was a bit dry or, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not really negative. It's Mm -hmm. it's helpful. And, you know, let's check if that needs more liquid, more milk or whatever it is. Whereas suddenly then it existed in the outside space and Mm -hmm. you had, loads of negative and people saying and I started to raise people commenting on everything I know it never bothers me if you have something kind of constructively critical or something like that to say about something I do mm-hmm. you know I tried that recipe it was too spicy for me yeah you know I tried that recipe do you know what? I really do just hate you true like you can't make it taste good you know you can't take things like that personally but suddenly people are like oh you know I hate your voice or you're you know really ugly or you're this or you're that or you're the next thing you know you're a spoiled brat and I think that was the bit that was kind of became quite terrifying and it hurts doesn't it it's just painful yeah it does and I think sometimes you wanted to say someone like call me you know I'd love to talk to you like I I don't think this is true Mm. um but you know no one wants to no one no one does that unfortunately but I think I you know, actually, like, it was so interesting because it, you know, just exploded and it was so exciting and I had this amazing opportunity and, like, here at the book was breaking all these records and I'd met Matt and we were dating and we are going to work together and it was all so exciting. And I've never, you know, it was one of the worst I've ever felt. I had, I have had it, I had it for two days as a new mum, but it passed quite quickly, but I had it for about a month where I had really crippling anxiety. Like, you know, I felt, I just could not shake it nothing worked and I felt kind of completely out of control and I think it was that complete sense of vulnerability and fear and I think after a month or so it did it started to subside and I think it came from acceptance of the fact that like you know and Matt and I talked about it a lot and that really really helped and I think I realized that like you're never going to make everyone happy and you've got to accept that negative comes with positive yeah. and if you get you know 100 messages saying this has had such positive impact on my life my kids are now eating broccoli or I feel really good or you know whatever it is and then you get one person saying I hate you well it's worth it for the 100 who you've been able to have a positive impact yeah. on it's like that negativity bias isn't it though that you always remember the bad things more keenly and feel them more intensely my, my book first book came out in 2015 and I was living in Denmark and so had felt sort of immune and mm. as though I was safe there and it was a small community and I didn't know anyone and it was fine and then suddenly yes you're getting feedback from people you don't know and from newspapers and and yeah I wasn't ready to be under scrutiny in that way so mm. I can't imagine for you 
it, which was on a different scale. And also you were so still so young. I was so young. I was so, so young. And I was, I was too young. Honestly, like if I, if I do it again, I wish it happened a bit later because yeah. I, I just was so young. Yeah. And I just, you know, I'd literally just finished uni. I was like six months out of uni. I just had no idea what, what was going on. I didn't know what was up and what was down. And I, I didn't know myself well enough to be able to try not to focus on that one negative. They, yeah, they say that we don't, that our brain carries on developing now till we're 24. So there's this idea that by that age, actually, you already had a best-selling book and you had this, this blog. You almost sort of grew up in the public eye. That's quite a lot of pressure. It's interesting because I think it made me grow up really, really, really fast mm. as well. You know, when I got sick, I was, I was at the end of my second year at uni and I was, you know, that year I was like in the uni fashion show and I was like dating the cool guy at uni and like, you know, you're living that life. and it was Eating really... Haribo for breakfast. I mean, I've read yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And it's really, it was so fun and, you know, you haven't got a clue what's going to happen in life and you're just having a great time. Like I was literally having the like classic uni, great, 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 great time. All I cared about was like what was happening tonight, who was going where, what time were we going? And it was almost like I woke up a few years later, you know, because life kind of shut down almost in between. And I suddenly woke up and people were like, Ella's this, Ella's that, we hate Ella, or we love Ella, or Ella's our idol. And I thought, oh my God, I can't live up to any of this. And, you know, again, at the same time, like your friends, who again, I, you know, find a complete connection to while I was sick was sometimes challenging because I wasn't open with them. Mm. Their priorities are really different as well. They're all living that uni life and going out and having fun. And I'm sitting in bed watching the five millionth episode of Grey's Anatomy. And again, I felt quite disconnected from people. And it, it's not in a kind of victim sense, but it took me, it took me some time to, I guess, appreciate a bit more the great stuff about it because I was like, I feel quite different to people around me and I felt a lot of pressure to yeah be delicious Ella, and I don't yeah. even know what that means and it's interesting like I meet people and they're like oh my god are you delicious Ella? and I'm like no I'm Ella it's not my Just, first name yeah. yeah I'm not called deliciously <laughs> um you know I'm Ella yeah delicious Ella is a brand and yes it's from a vision that I had but it's not me it sounds as though from what you're saying that you are more inclined to yoga than be passed out in a ditch somewhere. Yeah. If, for instance, you do you feel a responsibility then that you, you can't kind of cut loose even if you wanted to? In a way. I mean, it's I have no kind of my... Everything that is delicious Ella is me, if that makes sense. As in, like, I eat a vegan diet. I really like cauliflower and kale. Like, you just arrived. My lunch was, like, brown rice with tahini and turmeric cauliflower. Like, that is my idea of a delicious meal. And, like, I love it. And... It's not like it's not true in that mm. sense, but at the same time, like, you know, yes, sometimes I like a gin and tonic and mm. I like to be in a bar or like mm. out for dinner and, and, you know, not wearing yoga clothes kind of thing. And I think there is this sort of, you want to feel like you're just being you. And I think it's nice to feel a disconnect sometimes between work and home. Mm. And that can be interesting to find. But then again, it's your mind taking you back to that negativity bias because it's like, okay, for that one challenge sometimes the most amazing things like I have such meaning and purpose in my life and I think that's something to be so 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 grateful for so I think it's again it's always bringing your mind back to the fact that like actually there's so many positives yes of course and you 
got to see those. So I was going to ask you how you are so grounded, but I have an idea of what you might say. In that. Tell me about meeting Matt and how that yeah. changed things for you. He's like the most grounding person in the world. It's so funny. Every Any interview I ever do, I'm like, he's so amazing. He is just very calm. Yeah. When I did the podcast with you both. He's just sort of, oh, it's, it's all okay. Yeah, he is. And I'm really up and down, you know. I'm the kind of person that's like one minute, it's all terrible. And the next minute I'm like, I can't believe life. It's so good. And he is the opposite. He's always like, yeah, it's good. It's good. Life's good. You know, he's just very grounded and calming and positive. And he he's very, very, very good at separating kind of feeling from fact. So he's very emotionally intelligent and very emotionally switched on and engaged, much more so than I am, actually. He's, he's by far, his mum was exceptionally good at it, but he is the person that I've spent time with that's the best at it by a long way. He's incredibly brilliant at reading people's emotions and kind of knowing exactly the right way to talk to someone and support someone. And I think it makes him, what makes him such a good leader, actually. Mm. And he's a much better CEO of Dushiteller than I ever would be because he's so, so good with people. He's exceptionally good with people, including myself. And so his his mother, for anyone who doesn't know, was Dame Tessa Jowell, amazing, amazing woman and one of the most loved uh, politicians from Tony Blair's era. And she very sadly died last year, which I know has been a, a huge trauma for both of you. How How do you think you guys have coped with that sadness? How do you even begin to handle that? Our relationship has been just like a whirlwind in that sense so we got together in um march yeah so we got engaged with, with on the 1st of august and on the 5th of august so four days later my parents told us that they were getting divorced and we found out my dad had had a long relationship with someone else and my dad was now gay and that was a lot to digest and there was a lot of kind of family upheaval and and everything that comes with that and then we, everything had just kind of settled down with that and we were like you know we're on track Oh, and then we'd, you know, we got about to get our first investor. That fell through. We thought we were going to go out of business. That was all happening at the same time. We had a real chat, a few real challenges of just, you know, cash flows, any small business does, but like, you know, very sticky moments of not sleeping for a couple of weeks and, you know, beg, stealing and borrowing to get through that. And we literally had just got an investment and we thought, okay, this year's behind us. It's all good. And then two weeks later, Matt's mum, had these big seizures and was rushed to hospital. And we then found out a week later that she um, had a terminal brain cancer and and she was with us for almost exactly 12 months from from that day. And it was definitely one of the most formative years of my life by a long way. And obviously I was, you know, a spectator more than anything in, in the family dynamic. But Matt is so exceptionally close with his parents and him and his sister and, and his parents, like they're just this unbelievable unit and they're, they're so close and it was a real privilege to to kind of be a part of that and see that togetherness and it was yeah it's really exceptional but the way they dealt with it was just unbelievable and it, and it was so genuine and I think that's one of the things that really struck me you know people say like I'm fine I'm fine and you're like I know you're not fine mm. but everything they said was true and I'll never ever ever forget it must have been about a week or two weeks or so after the diagnosis and and everyone really you know come to terms with with the reality of of where we were at 
And we were up at their house and it was Matt and I and his sister and her husband and their little one who was, she was only three months old at this point. So, you know, Matt's sister had had a lot on her plate and, and his parents. And it was in the summer and it was a really, really, really gorgeous day. And it was just like one of those perfect kind of English summer days. And we were all outside and Ottie, um, my little niece, was playing um actually in a washing up bucket because we hadn't bought paddling pool <laughs> you know but she was still so small and it was just gorgeous like it was just a really gorgeous day but I had spent all day kind of feeling sort of sick to my stomach of you know everything that was going on and just kind of horrendous and and I obviously you know it's, it's you keep it together 100% it's really that's not your role in the situation but I the only thing I could think about six o'clock or so you know Tess and Matt's mum said you know what a perfect day that was and they were like I know it really was wasn't it like you know they, I don't know we'd had a barbecue and it was and it was so interesting because they really meant it yeah and it was the best it was like I'll never ever forget it as long as I live it was such a good lesson of like you can choose to see the day how you want you know you can choose to see the day as I was seeing it or you could choose to see the day as they were seeing it and they were seeing complete truth which was that it was a really lovely day We'd all been outside in the garden playing, got this little gorgeous three-month-old, it's sun shining, everyone's together. Like, that is a really, really good day. Yeah. And especially if you know you don't have as many of them as you'd like, why are you not appreciating that it's a really good day? And I think that really continued throughout the year and that was such a good lesson. But, you know, I think going through Matt's grief with him was definitely, yeah, a completely eye-opening experience. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough never to have lost someone as close to me as as he did, but it was completely all-consuming. And he had this moment about six months in, so about halfway through the process of just, I think, acceptance again of where things were mm. and the reality of what was to come and that the treatment wasn't really working and that, you know, therefore it probably was going to be the year that they said originally. And, you know, that meant not that much longer left. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, around that time, things did start to change and she seemed a lot more ill than she had done before that. And he just had this moment where he'd gone from, a, in a way, kind of not wanting to accept her, understandably so, to to accepting it. And and everything shifted. It was like it was like he woke up one morning and that's what it was. And I think the acceptance made the grief almost, not softer in terms of easier, but sort of gentler mm. in a way for him because... You, he wasn't wrestling with something. He was allowing himself, as you said, just to kind of sit in the reality of the sadness and allow the sadness to kind of wash through him rather than trying to fight it. And everything kind of changed from that moment. Kind of being a spectator to all the emotion, you obviously take so much of it on and, and you feel it too. And I'd go to yoga every weekend on Sunday night as soon as we got back. And every time I just like cry my eyes out. And it was such an amazing release and I feel like without it and every day I knew that was my space knew when I was upset about my parents and that was going on and that was intense or even now like feeling overwhelmed by motherhood or you know feeling kind of sad about you know whatever whatever it is that day and knowing that you have that space that's yours and it's just mine you know it's my hobby and it's not Matt's hobby, it's not Sky's hobby, it's not my mum's hobby, it's my hobby. And I go, and I, I know that all the I in there sounds a bit kind of selfish, but that time, that space, and that comfort in knowing you have something that you know helps is really powerful, I think, because we are all going to go through periods of intense sadness and 
you know, whether that's heartbreak or, you know, just, you know, challenges of, of every day and knowing that there's something that you know helps you is, I think, a very empowering feeling. I've spoken to a lot of people who said actually yoga or having a massage or any sort of spa treatment where I maybe it's the, the touching and the oxytocin makes people quite emotional and makes you cry. Would you cry during the yoga? Oh, yeah, I've cried yeah. in yoga so many times. I've cried <laughs> after, but I have cried, cried in class so many times. And it's good. Yeah. It feels really good. I think I think sometimes you need that, you know, you need a release. I, I think if I'd held that in every weekend it would have really, really, really built up. Mm. What are your views on the kind of the old sort of British stiff upper lip? Where do you think we are with that? How are we doing as a society on that? Do you know, I feel so mixed about it because I think we, we are doing great at breaking it down. But I do sometimes think getting on with it is not the worst thing. And there's a balance between the two that I think is very important that we strike because openness is very important and openness normalizes things it is so normal to feel anxious it is so normal to feel sad it is so normal to feel not good enough you know these are really normal human emotions and I think the sooner we realize that that's what everyone feels no matter who they are and what they do that's brilliant but at the same time I think we can sit in our feelings a bit too long you know, I can definitely sit there and be like, I feel this and I feel that and I feel the, you know, the rest of it. And actually, is it just better to be like, do you know what? You know, I do feel this and I, I hear it, but let's just look at the reality. Like life's pretty good. It's sunny. Let's just go for a walk. Let's just get up. Let's get out. And I always feel better mm. when I do that rather than be like, but I'm just so sad, you know? And, and obviously there's days that, that you know, that's, that's not appropriate and I, I don't take that away. But I think on a day-to-day basis with life's normal ups and downs, a little bit of getting on with it is quite good. And I think we can be, and I have been quite quick to define ourselves by difficult things. And I think that's not necessarily a great thing. Like I define myself as someone that was ill, as someone that was different, as someone that wasn't happy as a result, as someone that was depressed as a result. And I don't think that did anything to help. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah. And I've definitely seen that with other people. They define themselves. Now, if you're, you know, obviously the, you know, the intensity to which these things are valid for you is, is obviously relevant to it, but we're very quick to throw it around a lot of these sort of words and terminology at the moment I think you do start to then identify yourself as an anxious person as an unhappy person and almost I think sometimes it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy like I do you know I have a chronic illness so I I am my chronic illness so I can't do this so I can't do that so I can't do the next thing so I feel unhappy about that and I definitely did that for for too long and I think yeah I think I think there is something in trying to move away from defining yourself by by the negative so Sky's middle name is Tessa. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And how has the way that you have both coped with with grief and sadness changed over time? It's it feels from from your podcast, especially, that you're both very open to learning things and you are you are very curious and you always start your podcast with lots of stats and you're always researching. Are you are you always sort of searching for more answers and trying to learn more? Yeah, yeah. That's just like, I'm, I'm a wide kind of person, I guess. You know, I've got a million and one other things still to learn in life. Everyone does. But I think the more I learn, the happier I am. And I think that's, you know, partly listening to other people's experiences. And like we said at the beginning, I think when you listen to other people's experiences, everything normalises. 
And I think that's that's good. You know, it's nice knowing that everyone has their ups and downs and their insecurities and their wobbles and their you know challenges and their grief and their loss and all the rest of it. And I think that is really really powerful. But I think the more I learn, the happier I am. And that I guess that is like the ultimate goal in life, isn't it? To be happy. And I guess there's a moment of saying you know you can just enjoy what you have learned yeah. so far. But I don't know. I, and I feel so much that the way that the kind of traditional way of living at the moment doesn't make us very happy and that there's a lot that we can learn and some of it's actually just unlearning and going back to a bit more of what we used to be you know more sense of community and togetherness and openness and you know time offline and time in nature and cooking and slow slowing down you know which is obviously a lot you know the danish living side of things um so it's not kind of complicated lots of it in that sense but it's interesting you know learning more about it i often think that things aren't necessarily difficult they're just hard sometimes it's hard work it's not difficult it's not particularly going to be beyond us but it's just okay we've got to put the work in sometimes exactly it's not necessarily beyond our capability yeah I was very interested in what you're saying about birth and yeah I found your birth story made me it made me quite upset because mine had been very uh, it felt very unnatural and it was not I mean it's never easy but it it felt very different and I loved when you said it never felt beyond your capabilities that felt like quite a big thing how do you think parenting has changed you yeah, God, birth was, was, was extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, it's quite an experience in itself. But it was exactly that. God, it was hard. You know, there's no escaping the fact that it was hard, but it never, it didn't feel beyond my capabilities. And, and that was one of the things I loved learning about the most. Like I loved learning about birth. That's my like new passion in life and maybe the career number two. Really? Oh, I don't know. I think there's something in it. I think it can be such a powerful moment and something that maybe, I don't know, is causing more trauma than it needs to. And I think there's there's a lot of change that could maybe happen in that space, but it's for another day. But um, I guess parenting puts everything into perspective, doesn't it? You know, and, and it's, you know, my mum and I have always been so close and Sky's other middle name is Camilla after my mum. And, you know, we're so close, but, you know, it's brought me closer to my mum. I think I've got such an appreciation. I've got an appreciation for kind of women in general and their completely amazing abilities and such respect for, you know, all the mums in our office and, you know, everyone I know who's juggling the two because you appreciate suddenly what that means. But it's also been great just being like, God, this doesn't matter. Mm. You know, it's a bit like we were saying at the moment, you know, earlier, sorry, about, you know, negativity or people criticising you or feeling vulnerable and suddenly you're like, I just don't care. Mm. Like, I literally don't care. Obviously, if something's wrong and I can fix it for you, like, you know, if you can't log into our app, like, let me fix that. <laughs> That's not a problem. But if people are like, I hate you because you are so annoying because of this, or I hate your haircut, or I hate your shoes, or, you know, <laughs> you're a bad person because of this. As long as I feel like I'm doing what the best of my ability and I'm trying to be helpful, you know, the intention of what you're doing is trying to be helpful, mm then there's nothing more you can do. You're not going to make everyone happy. And I think that's been my best learning from it. And how would you advise your younger self now, kind of going through what you did with your illness and going through the meteoric rise of Deliciously Ella and with the pressures that that brought? What what kind of perspective do you have now and how would you advise yourself? Honestly, the biggest thing is that just like everything passes. And that's not to say you just sit back and say, whatever, (laughs) I'm not going to, because lots of it wouldn't have passed if we hadn't have like dug deep and, you know, either mentally or, you know, physically, you know, really trying to solve all kinds of issues. But it does pass. Mm-hmm. And I think that is definitely, for me, the biggest learning. Like, even the problems that felt insurmountable weren't insurmountable. 
you know, the moments where you think, am I going to be able to do this? Am I strong enough to do this? You can you know, you always do put one foot in front of the other. Like you just, you just do. Mm. Even when it's really hard, you still do. And I think the more I've done that, the more I've appreciated that, the more I know that like you can do it. No matter what it is, you can do it. And I, I wish I'd always appreciated that more because I think it means I'm a bit better at dealing with things and a bit better at like, yeah, life's roller coaster. That's wonderful. Thank you very much for your time, Ellen. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please do rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help others find us and helps us to make more episodes. You can find out more about How To Be Sad, the book and the podcast online at Ms. Helen Russell. And take care. <laughs>